0: Turn, if you would, to the first chapter of the book of Proverbs. Last week, we started the book of Proverbs with an introduction of uh, who Solomon was and uh, when he wrote this book and why he was such a wise person. Is this yours, doctor? We talked about the fact that Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived, and at the end of his life, it all fell apart because knowing the truth, knowing what it means to be wise, and actually putting that into practice are two separate things. Now, there was one question that we didn't address last week in the introduction, And we're going to address it today. This may be the most introduced book I've ever done. Uh, That question was, who is the book written to? But before we do that, I want to share with you my uh, favorite painting in the world. Actually, it's a series of paintings. Um, Why don't you turn that off? There's a series of paintings by a painter named Thomas Cole. Somebody tell me something about Thomas Cole. Early 1800s, died 1850-something. Liked big landscapes. Nice, big, beautiful. Isn't the American wilderness great and wonderful? But he wrote, uh, I mean, he uh, painted a couple of series of paintings. There actually was one last year down at the Amon Carter Museum called The Course of Empire. And uh, it was kind of a, a... a big deal that we got it in town because it has never left New York, the series of paintings, but they were refurbishing the museum where it was housed, and so they sent it uh, traveling around the country. This series of paintings, and it actually is probably about that size, it's a really big painting, is four paintings of the Voyage of Life, and they are actually in Washington, D.C. If you go to the National Gallery, you'll see them there. And what they are are a series of paintings describing in an allegory form the course of a man's life. This one is called Infancy. You see the little tiny baby in the boat with the angel behind him. He is just being born. Life is great and wonderful. This is youth. You see the young man in the boat. The angel is over here bidding him forward, and here he has these great dreams of the future. That's that castle up there in the, in the sky over there. But then we reach manhood, and here he is in his boat, about to go through the storms, about to go through the rough water. Up in the clouds, it's kind of hard to see, but up in the clouds there are actually three faces and even in the, when you're looking at the real picture, it's hard to see them. Those three faces are uh, suicide, intemperance, and murder, which are the temptations of midlife. Suicide is despair, giving up. Intemperance is giving in to the uh, folly of seeking after pleasure wherever you can find it. And murder is anger, being mad at you the world and those around you. And then finally, the fourth picture, the battle is over, his boat is beat to a pulp, and the angel is about to lead him home. And this is called old age. (laughs) When I first saw this, uh, 25 years ago, I was at the starting point of right here, okay? I was, I had just moved to Virginia, I had two small children, and here I was about to enter the storms. And I guess technically I'm still in this, and this picture means a lot to me. (laughs) I don't know why. The question we did not address last week is, who is the book of Proverbs written to? The book of Proverbs is written to this young man right here. It's written to this young man who's about to start off on his life. Question. If the book is written to him, why am I teaching it to you? (laughs) More particularly... Why am I teaching it to me? The reason that I am teaching the book of Proverbs now is because I've been struggling for several years with the book of Proverbs. I've been struggling with it because as I look at the book of Proverbs, I look at things that I have done. Way to go. And I've looked at a lot of things that I haven't done. And I go, huh. Huh. And the regret begins to set in. The book of Proverbs is addressed a father's teaching to his son. You can turn the lights back on. We see this in chapter 1, verse 8. Listen, my son, to your father's instructions and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Next chapter, my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you. Next chapter, my son, do not forget my teaching. Next chapter, listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Next chapter, my son, pay attention, etc., etc., etc. These are teachings of a father to his son regarding how to follow wisdom as you go through life. Now, a couple of quick questions. One, does that mean that it doesn't apply to women? And that's obviously not true. Fathers have always been giving instructions to their children. They give it to their sons. They give it to their daughters. What that does mean is that a lot of the examples that are given in the book of Proverbs are addressed to a young man, and the examples follow that. That's why when you get to Proverbs 31, the chapter that just drives women crazy, it's addressed to a young man, this is what to look for in a young woman, in a wife. You could have just as easily written instructions to a young woman, this is what to look for in a young man. My contention all along has been that Proverbs 31 is simply Proverbs 1 to 30, Put into a female context. It is, this is what the wise life looks like. And here's what a wife would look like who was following that path. So, it is instructions to a son or daughter about how to live their life. I will contend it's probably addressed to a younger son. We're going to see this in weeks to come. Um. I am 54 years old. I am not the youngest person in this class. My son is here. Uh, <laughs> but I'm close to being the youngest person in this class. So, what does it mean to us? To us today. What does it mean to me personally? As a 54 year old who has gone through some of the storms, who has fought the battles, lost some, won some. What does it mean? How can I read the book of Proverbs and not spend all my time just suffering from regret? Oh, I wish I had done that 30 years ago. Or how can I read the book of Proverbs and not just say, Oh, that's great, I'll beat my son over the head with it because he really needs it. When in reality, I need it too. Let me throw out an example, okay? Let's say you're a young man brought up in a church. You're a good guy. You go to school. You get a good job. Uh, At some point, you start pursuing a young woman. You uh, talk to your family. You talk to the young woman's family. You talk to your godly friends. You decide that this is God's will for your life. You go through marriage counseling. You marry the young woman. You are married. You have followed a wise path in order to find a wife. Okay? Scenario number two. You're somewhat of a good kid. Okay? You grew up going to church, and it eh, kind of meant something to you. You drink a little bit, but not a whole lot, and you go to school and you kind of do well and you kind of get a job, and um, a buddy of yours is getting married, and he decides to have a bachelor's party in Las Vegas, so you go with him to the party, okay? So you have your couple of drinks, I mean, you, well, then you have a couple more, and then you have a couple more. I mean, it is a party and everybody else is doing it, Right? And you wake up the next morning and you're married to some girl that you met the night before. There actually is a country western song about this. It actually has a very good ending to it, but so you're married. Could you say that you followed the wise path in finding that wife? No. From the book of Proverbs, we'll see that you followed a very foolish path to obtain something that God is pleased that you would obtain, just not in that path. Question. Is that second marriage doomed to failure? Hmm? No. The second marriage is not doomed to failure any more than the first marriage is guaranteed of success. But what we're going to find as we go through the book of Proverbs is that God is telling us how to live our lives for our own benefit. Nothing, nothing, nothing in this book is a club that God is using to beat you over the head. It is guidance on how to live your life better. The individual in the second scenario has to do what all of us have to do when we've followed the path of foolishness. That is, repent, confess our sin, ask forgiveness of our sin, of following the wrong path, and then deal with the consequences. And there are consequences. What we're going to see in the book of Proverbs is following the path of foolishness brings with it consequences, some of which we can determine, some of which we can understand, some of which are beyond our understanding. We have no idea of what the consequences are. But when you and I sin as believers, we are to confess our sin and we are to deal with the consequences. We see this in the Old Testament, where people are to make restitution for the consequences of their actions. Grace does not mean that sin has no consequences. If you have followed the path of the fool, you can still repent. But repent you must. Because if you believe that you can deny that it makes a difference, if you believe that you can pretend it didn't happen, you will never face the reality of the consequences. In the same way, the first couple who f- were wise in their process, will continue to make decisions in their life that will be wise or foolish. But they have fewer consequences that they have to deal with. Now, here I am, 54 years old, and the reality is, sometimes I followed the path of wisdom, Sometimes I've done the right thing. I went to school. I got a good job. I married a woman. I followed the path that I should have. Sometimes I followed the path of wisdom. Sometimes I haven't. Sometimes I have followed the path of foolishness. And no, I'm not going to tell you what those are. Sorry. You can read about it in my book. No. So what do I do as I read the book of Proverbs, as I study the book of Proverbs as a 54 year old or whatever age you are, and we look back and go, gosh, that was a mistake going down that path. We don't say, well, everybody else made the same mistake because that's not repentance. That's an excuse. We don't say, oh, it's no big deal Because that's an excuse. We don't pretend that it didn't happen. We don't get mad at God for bringing about consequences that he told us would come if we followed the wrong path. We simply confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. And then we get about, set about, Dealing with the consequences. And don't ever, ever, ever think that I think that that's easy. Consequences are very difficult. They can be. But God gives us the grace to deal with the consequences as they come. But consequences there's going to be. As we talk about following the path of wisdom or following the path of foolishness, we have to understand that each path brings with it consequences. It isn't an arbitrary choice. It isn't a choice that makes no difference. It makes all the difference in the world. We live in a society that prides itself on giving people second chances, and third and fourth and fifth chances. And sometimes we neglect that all of those stupid decisions that we've made carry with them bad consequences. So here we are past the second picture, past the age of youth, but we don't give up. We don't despair. We accept the fact that God, in his grace, has shown us how we are to live our lives. And if we look back and we say, I didn't do that on certain occasions, God says, I know. And we confess our sins, and we deal with the consequences. That's not easy, but that's life. It is interesting, I was talking to a friend of mine at work the other day, and he was actually talking about his nephew, who my friend thinks has made some stupid decisions. And I said, what are you going to do to help him, your nephew? And he finally threw up his hands and I said, he said, oh, I can't do anything. He's, he's too old. He's made too many decisions. It's too hard. The guy's 20 years old. And you know what? 20-year-olds have made stupid decisions. It would be easier if they hadn't made those stupid decisions. It would be easier. But God works with us where we are. We're not going to teach the book of Proverbs based on the assumption that you and I are perfect and we've never made a mistake in our lives. I don't know about you. I've made a few. No, I'm not going to tell you what they are. God is going to deal with us where we are as we work through the book of Proverbs. Okay. Proverbs 1. Proverbs actually has its own introduction in the first six or seven verses, depending on where you want to draw the line. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline... For understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise Wisdom and discipline. And we're going to take a look at this one verse at a time as we look at why we should study the book of Proverbs. What is to be gained from the book of Proverbs? And it begins for obtaining wisdom and discipline for understanding words of insight. If you remember last week, we gave this definition of wisdom. Wisdom is skill, particularly the skill of choosing the right course of action for the desired result. The skill in the art of godly living. We can actually use the word wisdom to talk about a lot of different fields. You could actually talk about a uh, a burglar who was a wise burglar because he knew how to do what he did. He had skill at his profession, even though his profession is illegal and immoral. But when the book of Proverbs is talking about wisdom, it's going to be talking about skill in godly living. We're going to see that when we deal with the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and later the, be- the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that that's the starting point. And you can rest assured, the guy who robs houses for a living is not living in the fear of God. What we get out of the book of Proverbs is guidance on the path that we are to walk in our lives. And here is the picture that I want you to have for this whole series that we're going to do on the book of Proverbs. Today, you are going to make hundreds of decisions Some of these decisions you've made so often you don't even know you're making a decision. But today, you're going to make hundreds of decisions. Somebody's going to do something wrong to you and you're going to decide how to handle that. Somebody's going to do something nice to you and you're going to decide. You're going to read something in the newspaper and you're going to have to decide what to do about it. God is telling you At each of those decision points, choose the path of wisdom. Choose the path of wisdom, not the path of foolishness. That's what God is asking of you. But, in the book of Proverbs, he's going to show you what that means. We are not necessarily going to deal with deep theology like we deal with in the book of Romans. We're going to talk about practical, everyday things that you and I ought to do. Somebody comes to you and says, let's go do something bad. And you go, no. And you go, wait a minute. People don't do that to me. People only go to young people and say, let's go do something bad. I don't know. Anybody ever give you advice on how to fill out your income tax? That was a little bit iffy. I don't know. Old people don't drive old people in the wrong direction. Who knows? Discipline is instruction on how to live your life for obtaining wisdom and discipline. We know from the book of Hebrews that like a child that a father loves, the Lord Disciplines us. Now, that word discipline, we take two different directions. One is a spanking. That's what first comes into our mind. You did the wrong thing and you get a spanking. But the word discipline also carries with it the connotation of pushing you further than you want to go as you obtain the skills to accomplish what needs to be done. It is the coach who disciplines you so that you are physically fit to stay in the game. It is the drill instructor in the military who drives you further than you want to go because he knows what you're going to face when you get to the battlefield. And it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be pleasant. And we talk about that as disciplining us being disciplined, pushing us farther than we want so that we will be prepared for what lies in front of us. What do we get from the book of Proverbs? We get wisdom and we get discipline. I'll go ahead and tell it. Just knowing it isn't the same as putting it into practice as we saw in the life of Solomon. For acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair. What is prudence? One definition, well, I don't really like this definition. (laughs) Craftiness. Or the ability to detect craftiness in others. That sounds a little odd, doesn't it? Prudence is knowing how to act in a particular situation. To obtain the goal. Now, if you're a godly person, the goal is a godly goal. And prudence says, these are the steps that I need to take to get to that point. If you're not a godly person, then craftiness is simply, how do I get ahead? How do I get what I want? How do I get more? How do I keep the other person from getting more how do I put the other person so the goal makes all the difference in the world it's not just a slight difference it is a big difference prudence is knowing how to do what needs to be done doing what is right and just and fair right is righteous behavior it is doing the right thing. This is what we learn from the book of Proverbs. As C.S. Lewis says, God is not indifferent to our behavior. It does matter to God whether we are going down the path of righteousness or not. Justice is seeking, mean, just, seeking after justice Giving someone their due. What do we owe to other people? Now, we live in 21st century America where we idolize the autonomous individual above anything else, and we begin to think, I don't owe anyone anywhere anything. And you know what? That's not true. We owe God, we owe our leaders. We owe our parents, we owe those around us, we owe other believers. We are to treat people with justice at all times. Finally, whatever is right and just and fair. A couple of weeks ago I talked about the word fair because I hate the word fair. Because in our modern society, the word fair has taken on whatever connotation you want it to take on. If I'm not getting what I want at this point in time, my immediate complaint is it's not fair. Trust me, I hear it from my children all the time. I've told you what I start telling them, right? Life is not fair, but it's not fair for everyone. Therefore, it's fair. Think about it for a while. It actually makes sense. But biblically, we're talking about equity, uprightness, moral integrity. Treating people as they ought to be treated. Okay? You're my friend, so I'm going to show you justice. You're not my friend. No telling what you're going to get out of me. Okay? No. We are to pursue that which is right and just and fair. For giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. If you remember last week, we introduced three characters who are going to be prominent throughout the book of Proverbs. There is the wise, there is the fool, and there is the simple. Or the naive, some of the translations will say, usually associated with the young. The difference between the simple, the simple, and the fool is that the simple just doesn't know. If I told my son, you know, um, go drive a tractor. Well, he doesn't know how to drive a tractor. He probably wouldn't do it well. He might muddle through, but he doesn't know how to do it. He needs to be instructed. The simple need to be instructed. They need to learn. And we as believers need to teach them. Those who are on the path of wisdom need to look at the simple and say, come this way. Because as we're going to see, actually probably in next week's lesson, the evil people are looking out for the simple to take them in their direction. So if the wise are not in the business of helping the simple, all we've done is left the simple to the fools. And guess what? The simple become fools. Why would that surprise us if that happens? The simple, well, first off, we were all simple at one time. In certain areas, we're simple today because we just haven't learned. But there comes a point where you should have learned and the fact that you should have learned and didn't learn is in and of itself a sign of foolishness if you're 30 years old and don't know how to brush your teeth maybe you just lived in an odd place but maybe not Maybe you have chosen to reject the truth. And that is the definition of the fool. The fool, well, we'll talk about the fool in just a moment. Instruction, uh, knowledge. Knowledge is information of the sound character. We're going to see this throughout the book of Proverbs. And maybe somewhere in here we'll have a whole lesson on epistemology. But we're going to talk about knowledge, and we're going to talk about wisdom. Knowledge is, well, that's the facts of life, okay? No, I'm not talking about those, anyway. It's, how, it's the knowledge you have to have to make it through the world. And we have to know things, okay? God communicated us through words in the Bible, and he gave us knowledge, Wisdom is taking that knowledge and putting it into practice. We have to have both. God is not calling us to be ignorant. He actually is calling us to be ignorant of evil. But in our modern society, we usually know a whole lot more about that than is actually good for us. Discretion. Knowledge and discretion to the young. Discretion is simply thoughtfulness. Thinking through What's going to happen? How many of you have ever been in a situation where somebody acted in some way without ever engaging their brain? I mean, it just... I've said for years, my son here and my older son, when they played baseball, you know, Little League or whatever they were playing, to me, one of the keys in teaching a young person how to play baseball, is when they're in the field, before the ball is hit, getting them to think about, if I get the ball, what am I going to do with it? Because the reality is, this is what happens. The ball gets hit to them, they pick up the ball, and there's this long pause when they tr- while they try to figure out what to do with it. And you know what? By the end of that long pause, it doesn't matter what they do with it. It's all over. You have to think before the problem occurs. And the same is true in life. If you wait until the problem occurs, you've waited too long. That's why you need to be studying the scripture constantly, all the time. As I've said before, you can study a passage and go, I don't really understand this passage. And ten years later, God will put you in a situation and you'll go, oh, that's what that meant. As he uses that knowledge at that particular point to deal with an issue. God wants us to be thoughtful, to think through issues before they become big problems. Once again, we see this in young people, but we see it in all of us. As I said earlier, today you're going to make hundreds of decisions. But many of those decisions you've made so many times, you don't even know you're making a decision. Somebody cuts you off in traffic, you lean on that horn, you give them an obscene, no, maybe you don't give them an obscene gesture, but you think about it. Because that's the way you've always reacted. You don't even know that you're reacting. That's just what you're supposed to do. I stopped in front of my house yesterday to drop off two of my kids while I went to run one more errand. I stopped. There was a car behind me, lots of room. They stopped, and they p- turned around behind, beside me, and they honked at me. And my kids go, why did they honk at you? And I said, I don't know. They're just impatient. I mean, there was no danger. There was no, it wasn't a hazard. Just, they just didn't like that I was in their way. Why? Because we do not think About the path that we're on. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. The wise knows that he can always learn more. One of the consequences of following the path of wisdom is that you can learn more wisdom. One of the consequences. Of following the path of foolishness. Is that it hinders you from learning more wisdom. It doesn't prevent you. But it hinders you. The wise know that they can always learn more wisdom. That's why you see people who you admire reading more books Studying the Bible more and you think, wow, they're already ahead of me. And then, well, they know they need it. The wise know they need to learn more. For understanding Proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. Why do you think the wise talk in riddles? I always just thought that was an odd phrase. The sayings and riddles of the wise. Why do you think the wise talk in riddles? Hmm? The truth is multifaceted, and you got to think about it. Make people think. And you know what? If you're the fool, everything the wise says is a riddle that makes no sense at all. Really? I mean, I can say the clearest thing, and if you don't want to do what I want you to do, you will look at it as if it makes no sense. I've told you this story before. When I finally figured this out with my kids, I, I, I actually thought it was hilarious. Maybe I shouldn't. One of my kids would come to me and say, Dad, can I do such and such? And depending on the mood I was in, okay, I launch into a great discourse, sharing all my knowledge and wisdom, okay? I mean, I tell them the consequences, and I give them the biblical examples, and I quote, you know, Plato, and I do this, and I do this. I mean, I do great. I do a great job. And they listen politely, and I get to the end, and they look at me and go, yeah, but can I do it? No. Oh, okay. It's like, why did I bother with all that? All they wanted was a yes-no answer. I might add, though, that sometimes that discussion shows up later in other discussions. So while it may not have addressed the original question, I hope it had some effect. Proverbs 1, verse 7. Memorize this verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We're going to see later where it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Word I was curious about was the word despise. Why, do the fool, why does the fool despise wisdom and discipline? I mean, I can see them ignoring it. I can see them not paying attention to it. I can see them, you know, not looking at it. But despising carries with it the idea of an active animosity towards something. It isn't that I just don't like that kind of food. It's, I hate that, and I will do whatever I can do to get rid of that, to silence it. And here we have the picture of the fool, as opposed to the picture of the simple. The fool is actively working to get rid of the truth, because they don't like what the truth reveals about them they don't like what the truth how it makes them feel how it makes them look and so they will do whatever it takes to chop the truth to chop wisdom down so that it has no impact on their lives I don't want to have a long discussion about the media and different groups in our society today. But suffice it to say, there are a lot of fools who have microphones in front of them. We'll just leave it at that. And they're not 18-year-old kids. They are people who should know better. Morally deficient. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all true knowledge. Does that mean that the fool doesn't know anything? No, there's lots of fools who know a lot of things. But if we're talking about knowledge of the path of wisdom, the path on how you are to live your life in a skillful and godly manner, the fool doesn't know anything about it other than, I hate it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. It is the starting point. We have actually had in here, years ago, a series on the fear of the Lord. So we won't have a huge discussion about it, except we'll bring it up probably every week. Because it is rather important. Let's suffice with an example. When I was younger, not young, but younger, and um, you know, I graduated from college and I still lived at home, and you know I had my own room and my own TV and my own there were certain things I wouldn't watch if my dad was in the room. Why? Well, I didn't you know. <laughs> Want him to know? And pretty soon I realized that if I didn't want him to know, why would I watch it in the first place? Which is good. That's a good step down the right path. I had a certain reverence for my father that I would not do certain things in his presence. Why? Because I thought he was going to beat me over the head with a... The baseball bat? No. He wouldn't have done it. But I didn't want to disappoint him. Now, if I felt that way about my father, who was a fallen human being just like I am, how should I feel in the presence of God, who, by the way, Sees everything, knows everything, and knows what I'm thinking. Huh. Hmm? Before it happens. Fear of the Lord is acknowledging that God is sovereign, God knows everything, and that I don't want to disappoint Him. Now, if you're an unbeliever, the fear of the Lord is hell. But I don't think unbelievers fear the Lord. Because if they feared the Lord, then they would do something about it. But that's a whole different story. Fear of the Lord is a reverential terror of disappointing and doing that which is contrary to the will of God. Why is that the beginning of knowledge and wisdom? Because when I study the book of Proverbs, we will have discussions in here. What does that particular verse mean? You know, how do I do that? What does that look like? We'll have those discussions. But if I look at that verse and I say, God says do this, and I choose to do something else because I'm smarter than God, I'm more knowledgeable I have in essence said, I have no fear of God. The fear of God is reverential terror that leads me to do things God's way. But I also acknowledge that I have a loving God who is leading me down a path because it is the best path. It is the path with the fewer, fewest Negative consequences. Conclusion. Regardless of our age, we all need to learn more knowledge and more wisdom. And that's the bottom line. Don't, well, you can sit here and say, yes, my son or my grandson really needs that verse. I do it all the time. My son does need some of those verses. But don't use that as an excuse not to look at your own life and say, this is what I need. God promises great blessings to those who follow the path of wisdom. Without a fear of God, it is impossible to learn the path of wisdom. I didn't say it was difficult. I said it was impossible. And once again, continue to read the book of Proverbs. What's today's date? The 6th, I messed up on this last week. It is the 6th. So today you should read Proverbs 6. I'm sure there's something in there about the adulterous woman that you'll love. Oh, wait. Joe, you have a comment? Or? Submission. That's good. Let's close in prayer. Next week we will actually start Proverbs proper. And we'll talk about being led astray by bad men. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you have shown us the path of wisdom. I pray, Lord, that you would forgive us when we choose otherwise, and that you would lead us back to your path. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.